Welcome to the Remote CEO Show. My name is De Niro Bartolini, AKA De Niro B. I'm an acclaimed business coach and my moonshot is to change the face of work and business forever. With each episode, we bring you some of the most inspiring and insightful interviews with six, seven, eight, and nine figure entrepreneurs to crack the code on how to build your remote empire and have fun while doing it. Thanks for stopping by and let's get started. What is going on, CEOs? The Nero B here with another episode of the Remote CEO Show. Today, I am here with David Terrera. David is an engineer, entrepreneur, inventor, and advisor with over 25 years of experience in the medical device field, successfully developing products, funding companies, and managing them from concept through commercialization. David co-founded Blockhead Medical in 2011 and was their president and CEO. Blockhead was acquired by Bolt Extrusion in France in August 2016. He's the general partner of Quantum Fund. David and his companies have been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, Inc., Wired, The Economist, and the list goes on. I am thrilled for this interview, so let's get right to it. David, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, thank you so much again for being on the show, David. Before we get to the questions, can you tell us a little bit more about your inspiring story and how you got started in the medical industry? Sure. Uh, when I was in college in the late 80s, actually 1989, my, the week of my sister's wedding in Massachusetts, my grandfather suffered from an ischemic stroke, um, which back then there was really no treatment or, or cure for that. And I went to visit him in the hospital, and he was incredibly confused. And the neurologist caring for him asked me what I was studying. I told him engineering. And he said, well, maybe someday you could put your studies to work and develop some type of device or therapy that could help someone like your grandfather. And uh, that's kind of what I set out to do. So upon graduation, I went to work for a medical device company making angioplasty catheters. That was my first foray into catheters. I then took another job with a group in Tampa, Arizona, making um, uh, um, arteries that are made out of a form of plastic. It wasn't until I ended up at Boston Scientific in the early 90s that I met some other engineers that were saying, strokes the future, strokes the future. So in 1997, I co-founded my first company working in hemorrhagic stroke, making devices to treat brain aneurysms. Um, that was a very successful company. They went public and was later acquired by Johnson & Johnson. It wasn't until 2007 that I co-founded an ischemic stroke company, which was a device that was developing a stent-like cage that could have grabbed the blood clot that was in my grandfather's brain. And we, we developed that in 2007. We commercialized that uh, by 2010, and that was acquired by Covidian in 2012. So the stent retriever is now the standard of care. If you're having an ischemic stroke, which was affected my grandfather in 1989, mm -hmm. there's a very high likelihood that if you get to the hospital in time, you'll be able to go home and see your family. So it's, it was kind of a roundabout way. It happened in college. Uh, fortunately, I was studying engineering, and I've continued to do so ever since. 
That's absolutely moving. I am sure that uh, the remote seers at home feel that connection. We all like to be of service, especially when it comes down to, you know, helping a family, right? So my listeners are trying to scale their businesses and most of them wonder if they need some crazy business knowledge to grow. So you're just telling me that you were studying engineering, so not necessarily business. Did you have a lot of experience in the business field when you got started? And if not, how did you overcome that hurdle? I did not have any business experience, um, but I did work for some incredible leaders at some great companies. So I had some fantastic managers. My first job when I left school to work for this company called USCI, I had a fantastic leader that he encouraged me to try different things, make mistakes early, learn from them. Um, then I had the opportunity to move to Arizona to work for another medical device startup. And once again, I had fantastic leadership um, that really taught me how to design and develop the medical devices, which I think that was the, the first key for me. And it was also a small family run medical device business, but the leadership there from the head of R and D to the head of operations, the head of finance, the CEO were I think salt of the earth type of leaders. When I then went to Boston Scientific after their initial public offering in 1992, same thing. I had this entrepreneurial team of leaders that I worked for, and I continued to learn from them. It wasn't until I co-founded my first company in 97, still not knowing much about business, but I knew how to design and develop products and build teams. And, and some of that came from me being an athlete. I played baseball in college, and, um, you know, a a pitcher doesn't win a game all by himself. You need a catcher, first baseman, shortstop. You need eight other people on the field to win that game. Same thing in business. So if you can't grasp that team concept and you're an individual, then being a business entrepreneur is not going to be very uh, successful for you. So, but my, my first company uh, called Micros Endovascular, I was actually fired from that company uh, after two years. Um, CEO and I didn't see eye to eye. The business wasn't going in the right direction. Uh, that, was, that was a good thing for me to be fired. I then met other business leaders from a competitor. I joined that company. And once again, all-star team. That company was uh, acquired seven, eight years later. And I'm still friends with most of these executives there. But from learning from them how to build that business team, how to raise money, how to overcome obstacles and failure. Uh, it took time. So that company exited in 2006. I left in 2007. So by then I was in my, my late 30s, okay? Um, mm. It takes time to learn these, these ways to become a businessman. Uh, it's, it's not every day you see a Mark Zuckerberg or an Elon Musk. I mean, those guys are fantastic <laughs> businessmen and they're unicorns. Okay. Yes, for sure. Very few people come out of college at 23, 24, or leave college without a degree and become billionaires. I mean, it happens, of course, but for most entrepreneurs, you don't become that entrepreneur until you're in your 40s. Okay. Yeah. And highly successful when you're in your 50s because you have to learn, you have to make mistakes, and failure is part of success. And if you don't fail, you don't sometimes know how to succeed. So it, it took me a long time. I did learn this in college. For sure. I see here a lot of key elements that are repeating. So uh, teamwork is very important. Learning from your experience and having the patience 
to say, you know what, I'm making mistakes right now, but it's just part of the process. Now, as a founder of several businesses, you had to trust other people with so many aspects of the business. So if you were to point out two main factors that helped you to be successful in building these teams, what would they be and why? Well, trust. I mean, you have to have trust in your team that, you know, they're going to make the right decision. And if they fail, they're going to overcome that, that, that failure. Um, I mean, you, there's no quitting here. Okay. When you're taking investment dollars, people are investing in people. They're not investing in a technology. They're not investing in a, a market. Those are important, but they're investing in, in uh, people. So you have to trust the people who are on your team. Okay. And you have to set realistic goals and expectations. Um, I know the process and the, and the time it takes to design, develop, test, get a product approved, introduce it into the market, expecting to have a failure or a mistake, having to re-engineer it, reintroduce it. All that takes time. So for a, a typical catheter-based uh, uh, product, may take 18 months to two years. I can't realistically think I'm gonna do that in six months. Yeah. So you have to understand the process. So you have to trust people and be realistic and understand the process of how long it's going to take to get to market. Um, if you don't manage expectations, then you know there's gonna be a lot of uh, upset people and disappointed people. So, and there's many other things. I mean, just to name two for me, those are pretty high level. Uh, sure. If you had to have a third, is really yeah, trust ahead. your finances. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What do you mean, trust your finances? Like, go for it and trust that it's going to work out, or or can can you just elaborate on that? Actually, every, very good that you brought it up. Every good president, CEO, their best friend is their finance person. Okay, uh, I mean, yes. I'm an engineer. I I can read a P and L and balance sheet and cash flow statement today. I'm 52. Yeah. When I was yeah. 24, when I was 31. I, I have to trust my CFO and that person was my best friend. They sure. knew how much money I had in the bank, which I knew that, but they understood the risks, uh, the financial risks. They knew how to do debt financing for me. Uh, they knew when I had, you know, 90 days of cash left, you better go out start and raising money. Dave, you can't always be focused on just the product. So you really got to understand the cash you have that's in the bank and trust the person managing it but it's all about trust. For sure, for sure. Again, team building, trust. So that's very clear. I wanted to actually ask you a question. It's not super related to business, but because you're developing medical equipment and medical products, uh, like how do you go about testing? Do you go actually like, do you test on live people or is there another system that you guys uh, have to you know go through? Yeah, that's a great question and I get that a lot from my friends who aren't involved in the healthcare business. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of testing initially on simulated models that are made out of either glass or silicone. So since our products are catheter based, based on radiology, we can get the 3D imaging from either a CT or an MR or a DSA and make that uh, vascular model, which then allows us to test how it will uh, be introduced, how it actually tracks, because the vascular anatomy is very tortuous. It has lots of curves and bifurcations. Yeah, sure. The FDA, and then to get approved in Europe under the CMARC process, 
you also have to show that it's biocompatible, that it's actually yeah. safe. It isn't a toxic material. So there's a lot of testing that tests how the material leaches. If it's a temporary device, it isn't so important. But if it's an implantable device, it has to be stable inside the body. The body is a, you know, it's a kind of an angry uh, system. It has uh, blood and disease and, you know, so it has to really be durable enough. So there's all types of biocompatibility testing you have to do. And then there's also implantable tests in uh, animals. And we can do a lot of testing in, say, rodents or rabbits. So that's usually the last case. But a lot of that has changed in, say, the past five to 10 years. We do almost all of our work in simulated models. And then once you get the safety and efficacy approval from either the FDA or from the C marking process, then you can do your limited market release and test it in humans. But before it goes into humans, it's been tested for full biocompatibility, uh, durability, and actually how it's gonna be performed in a simulated fashion. Um, so you're really testing how it works in the physician's hands. How are they yeah. introducing it? Are they breaking it when they're introducing it? Because although we're humans, we all do things similarly. Some physicians are more aggressive, some aren't. Some of them are some of them are patient. So you're really testing how it behaves in the physician's hands, as well as how it performs in the body. But you got to make sure that it's a safe material, it's not toxic, and it actually does what it says it's going to do. Awesome, super interesting. Listen, I wanted to talk about purpose, which here it's for a second here, and the role it plays in so many successful businesses. I would say almost every single one of them. Now, you of course had a very big purpose, but what about those people that don't have that you know milestone? Uh, like the one you had, how can they find a calling and turn that into a fire that pushes them to do great things? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, my, my why, I had a family member who passed away because of a debilitating stroke. But in anything you're doing, whether you're making a Frisbee, a toy, you know, make meaning, you know, want to help. Okay, whether it's to make something easier to use, more fun to use, you have to make meaning. And if you make meaning, you'll bring joy to people and you'll bring joy to yourself. Um, I have young kids. I have a, a seven and nine-year-old and I also have a 26-year-old. And I coach their sporting teams for soccer and so forth. And, you know, it's make meaning. You know, you know sports are to have fun, right? We're not all going to become pro athletes. That's not going to happen, right? So kids do that. It's a escape. It's having fun with their friends and they want to be coached. Um, so that's also part of why I do this is I, I want to teach other people how to do what I do. So that's another way that I make meaning. I'm, I'm creating entrepreneurs, I'm creating stronger teams. And, and sometimes I, I want my team members to leave and start their own companies, right? Mm. To actually test their own skill and their own will on their own. So if you can make meaning in some way, find out what that meaning is. And you'll, you'll, you know, you'll be more tenacious and you'll be more apt to succeed. For sure. Very true. Listen, this podcast is for business owners that want to, again, learn how to become great leaders. And to become great leaders, we need to learn how to create a great company culture. So how did you go about setting the right culture for your business? And what can our listeners learn from what you've done? Well, it starts with creating a team. You know, um, and creating a team is uh, centered on, on, on also trust. Uh, I love having A players around who work hard either to keep themselves healthy, to 
be part of a family and sometimes you're not part of a big family, maybe work is your family. So really creating trust uh, is kind of the core uh, essential um, uh, component of, of that culture. Um, and also building a, a diverse team. You can't have two or three people that do the exact same thing. You really have mm -hmm. to depend on each other. So my teams are complementary. The team I'm with right now, although I'm not so much the engineer as I used to be, I'm kind of the business development person. I find the ideas. Then I have an engineering uh, executive who understands how to design it. I have another person that really knows how to manufacture it. I have, I have another person that knows how to get it approved. So having a complementary team creates a more uh, complementary, unified uh, culture where you're not in competition with each other. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to build teams. Like I, I think I read a story how Steve Jobs years and years ago at uh, Apple used to build competitive teams internally at Apple and the best team won. The best team get to keep their jobs. <laughs> well, that's wow. <laughs> so, hey, he was successful, but I still put people who weren't part of that, right? So, you know, and I worked with my same team since 2007, over three different companies, and now we're forming a venture studio, which is going to have five companies all at once moving in parallel. And you can only do that if you have, you know, an exciting complementary team. That's that's part of the culture. Um, I'm I've been witness to several other incubators and you know and accelerators that once they have an exit the team it, it just disbands and they all will do something else so there was something missing there um so i've i've looked it upon as hey we all have an ownership we all have a, a responsibility it's, it's entirely complimentary um you know we have family events we'll have you know an annual holiday party we'll have barbecues we'll go to the movies together you know you're at work you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you know, sometimes you're at work during daylight more than you with you with your family, right? Yes. Uh, this COVID-19 pandemic has really allowed us to be together as, as a family, right? Some people like that, yeah. some don't. <laughs> I've yeah. enjoyed it. Actually, home, homeschooling our kids has been a treat. Frustrating, <laughs> I'm not a teacher. <laughs> I can't sure. do common core math. But, but still, I mean, that culture has to be a, a, a culture where each of us can learn from each other. And it's been working for us now. We're going on almost 13, 14 years with the same team. Um, so I, awesome. I think we found something. For sure, for sure. Listen, um, I wanted to ask you about your future projects and what you have in the pipeline right now. I think you were talking about a book. Is that too early to talk about it or is it okay for you to mention something? Yeah, so I'm doing two things right now. Uh, one, I just closed out writing the manuscript with a ghostwriter. We submitted that to Forbes. And awesome. it's a book, it's kind of a how to bring a medical device to market from the initial idea and filing a patent all the way through to having an exit. So building the team, raising the money, design development, getting it approved, commercializing it, you know, fixing your mistakes and all my crazy stories along the way. And then mm -hmm. have, having an exit and then doing it all over again. So I think this is going to become a Bible for a, a lot of entrepreneur physicians and engineers in the medical device space. And you can use it across other markets. Mm -hmm. I'm also, um, I created what's called a venture studio with my, my partners that I worked with since in 2007. Um, rather than doing a single company one at a time in series, we're doing multiple companies all at once. Mm -hmm. uh, we, have, we have five right now. 
we're very focused on interventional radiology. So whether it's uh, catheters, embolization devices, stents for different parts of the body, because mm -hmm. that's been our domain expertise for, for decades. And we're also raising a venture fund to only fund the deal flow that we've created. So there'll be no passive investment. That, that allows us to be extremely efficient. We'll, we'll house all the companies at our one location, which is a contract manufacturer. So I think as the years have gone on, I've learned that we can increase our bandwidth as long as we stay focused. Yeah. I'm not creating a COVID-19 vaccine or, or masks. <laughs> I don't know how to do those things. I'm sure there's opportunity to be made there, but not by me. Yeah, <laughs> if for it's sure. a catheter or a stent with the team I have, which I just explained, then we're, we're going to be highly efficient and highly successful. So the book is going to kind of mirror what we're aiming to do. And right now we're in the midst of raising money. Um, we're yeah. soliciting investment from a series of limited partners from all over the world, but primarily here in Orange County. And we expect to have our first capital call by the end of the summer, probably in, in late August. And that's going to fund the initial five companies. For sure. Super, super cool. And so I'm going to ask you one last question before we get into uh, knowing more about where people can find you. I wanted to know, as an entrepreneur that has really lived all the stages of a business, what is your favorite stage, like the inception, the scaling part, the, you know, the exit? What, what is it? <laughs> The funnest phase for an engineer, from my perspective, is that design and development phase. So, yeah, you, yeah, you hear the initial idea from a physician and, oh, it's great because they had a problem. And then they, they work with you to try to envision a solution. That creating the solution is the fun part. Building the prototypes, testing them, showing the physician, seeing that aha moment. Well, this really works. Or you had a failure and you work so hard to fix that and you have a new solution that that early treatment of designing and developing and then once you're at design freeze and you're doing the biocompatibility testing and all the validations that's kind of going through the motions but it's that initial mm. phase because that's kind of the most stressful part um yeah. you're you're taking that initial investment from investors who are giving you money to create the solution and you have to succeed, and, and, and we do. But sometimes you don't know if you're gonna succeed. You're like, God, this is the wrong material, yeah. the wrong size, it's not strong enough, it's too much friction. But then you find something and you have an aha moment and then you laugh about it and you celebrate. <laughs> but it's That's that early true. stage and not many people experience that. You know, They either are working in manufacturing or they're in sales, which, I, and I know sales is exciting too. The first time the device is being used in a human is exciting. I mean, yeah, I've been sure. in several of those instances where it hasn't worked either. But, oh, wow. Okay. But, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but you find a way with the physician and, you know, you save the day. But, you know, that early design development is when you're really creating, for me, is yes. the most exciting part. Super interesting. Listen, Dave, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know my listeners will want to read more about what you do, and some people may even be interested in getting the book when it comes out. So where can people find you online? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, but I have a, a website, which is called uh, quantumfundoc.com. Awesome. Perfect. So I'm going to send people to both, and... Thank you again very much. And I can't have you to have you I can't wait to have you back on the show when the book comes out. 
Uh, I, I welcome that invitation. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great one. Thank you. And this is it for today, CEOs. Thanks for staying with us until the end. Can I ask you a big favor? Can you please leave a review? I know the podcast app is not super straightforward. So if you don't know how to leave a review, just DM me on Instagram at denierob, D-E-N-I-E-R-O-B. And I will send you the direct link to the review section. And to show you my appreciation, I will answer any business question you ask me during that conversation. So thank you again, and I will talk to you again soon.